the most interesting thing that this experience has, has taught us is that customers and employees are very adaptable. If it had been six months ago or a year ago and you said they're going to start using online banking more and leveraging DocuSign and going online to set appointments, I would have said that's not going to work. All of those things that I just mentioned are working and they're working very effectively. Welcome to Talk West, where every episode we'll be diving into the latest topics and trends in advertising, marketing, design, and more. I'm your host, Chris Bunn, and I'm joined by the Director of Marketing at Walk West, Mike Manganillo. Today, we're kicking off a series on the impacts of COVID-19 to different business sectors and how these leaders are dealing with the radical changes it has brought. In this episode, we'll be looking into the world of banking, the impact of fintech in a COVID world and how businesses are trying to adapt. We sat down with Jim Sills, the CEO of MNF Bank, to discuss their strategy in this new era. But first, let's check in with Abba Bowers, our Director of Strategy and Growth at WalkWest, and her experience in the financial industry. All right, I'd like to welcome Abba Bowers, the Director of Strategy and Growth at WalkWest to the show. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I thought about since the episode is about banking, Abba, you have a great name, Bowers Bank. Have you ever thought about opening <laughs> your own bank? No, I've thought about it. I've thought about things with the animal industry, particularly dogs, maybe Ooh. dogs and banking. I feel like that's a niche that hasn't been approached yet. Everybody needs money. <laughs> Can you uh, explain to our listeners your your expertise in banking and what you brought to Walkwest? Sure. Um, it's interesting. So my background is a hybrid of client side and agency side. So I had the pleasure of pitching a community bank called Community Bank NA. Shout out to one of my favorite banks in the country. And I got to work on uh, the agency side running the AOR relationships, the agency of record. And that was across merch um, to digital media, to creative, you know, complete rebrand, all their strategy and whatnot. And then I had the fortunate pleasure of actually going over to the client side and being their director of marketing there. Um, for three years. So we launched a new website, um, got to take part in new product launches and ideations and revamp their marketing efforts. Cool. Could you talk us through that strategy of launching like a lot of their digital efforts? You know, talked about the website design, the product design. That's obviously a huge thing now. FinTech is uh, it's breaking a lot of, uh, it's disrupting a lot of the market. What was your experience like in the early stages of that? It's very interesting. Community Bank um, is normally based in rural markets. And in that case, you have a lot of brick and mortar. However, what was fantastic was um, the leaders of the organization had recognized, you know, there's a need digital space. Thank goodness that we did all of that uh, before the rise of COVID, as we all understand the <laughs> of the digital space. However, you know, brick and mortar, um, you typically have clients that stay loyal that are now aging out of the funnel and you need to keep the funnel full. And with our millennials and younger, there is a demand for now fast, um, low levels of commitment, very low levels of education, the financial space period. So simplicity and ease are the top two things and digital offerings answer both of those for these markets. Um, so I space on your question. 
So we're going to have to ask. (laughs) (laughs) What was like, walk me through the strategy of, you know, taking the bank through that. Yeah. So they are, they're not bleeding. Community bank was constantly acquiring different banks and were booming and growing. Right. But what was amazing was they were proactive instead of reactive and said, okay, if we are doing things well with our brick and mortar, we should be upping our game a bit in the digital space. The website was outdated. The mobile banking was heinous. Offers were really limited in what they could do, both from a B2C and B2B side of things. I, th- I think it's interesting because I have a friend who works at a, a large bank here in Raleigh on the UX side of things. And the way that their team is built out, they've got 10, I think, full-time researchers that just focus on that product development and making sure that like, all of that paperwork and the logistics and the legal stuff is in order. And their team of designers is actually quite small. And it's because that's not really where the work is. The work is getting through all of that red tape, all that paperwork, all the behind the scenes stuff to make sure that the product that you are building is actually like meeting all of those standards. Yep. And don't forget all the regulation too. Yeah. There's a big difference between being a credit union versus a bank and the state laws that you're in and how you do things a lot of red tape too, which is great, but it's also really difficult for banks. <laughs> what is something that you learned in your experience working or working on banks you think that you would never have learned or you found, or you find fascinating that people wouldn't know about, you know, the inner workings of a bank? I think what's, what I found the most fascinating or what I guess a financial world was usually you can have some kind of relationship where something is more functional than emotional. But in the financial world, it was so interesting how it was so 50-50. You rely on banking, you need money, but there is such a huge component of not just going for the best rate, um, but also having a level of trust There's a lot of anxiety that goes into banking and how big of a role that plays. So it isn't so much always if we have the lowest rate, we're going to get the customers. It's a big combination of customer service in addition to the products and services that you offer. So depending on the market in which you're in, um, the competitive set that you have, you may teeter-totter between which one you promote more. Um, again, depending on the circumstances and location, but it is fascinating that it's it's not just a, okay, lowest rate wins. It's a, how do we show that we are for the people by the people as well? I mean, what can banks do now, you know, in this pandemic age where they can't really highlight that customer service side? You know, a lot of smaller banks will emphasize their ability to to connect with you and to help you out with a personal touch that simply can't exist right now. You know, what what strategy can these banks take from this? I think what's really interesting in, in some research that I've seen or done myself is a lot of companies already do a lot for their communities. Banks are invested, pun intended, in their people. And but what there is a loss is that they don't really communicate that well. There's not a lot of press around it. It could be simple as um, their social media channels showcasing all that they do. If you really look into it, you're going to see bake sales. You're going to see church donations. You're going to see volunteering with the local fire department. I don't think people understand how important those things actually mean to their customers. To humanize yourself as a brand is really big too. Um, To show your people, to highlight your people, to talk about the promotions of your people, the relationships that you have with your customers. I can guarantee every bank has a handful, if not more, of long-term, beautiful relationships that have grown over time and wonderful stories related to them of, oh my goodness, the first time I bought a house, I knew nothing about mortgages and how they worked. 
I had no idea that I needed 15 different paperwork and what to look out for, but I met Janice and she was there for me throughout the entire time and space, which I think is a benefit banks have over online platforms like a rocket mortgage who kind of push you. So other than the banks that you worked on and, and uh, currently our fabulous client, MNF Bank, what are some things or campaigns within the industry that you kind of look at as like the North Star of like wh- who's doing things correctly? <sighs> That's such a loaded question. <laughs> uh, I mean, the larger companies are going to have more funding to do more neat things. So like I'm a big fan of Chase and their app and how they are with the times, how I get you know, how they track me, how they serve me the ads, how, how they know exactly what's going on, what I need it when I need it. I do still follow my community bank. Um, and I'm a big fan of how they are growing themselves and really sticking to who they are as a community, especially throughout the coronavirus and the pandemic and their PPP loans. MNF is doing a fantastic job from their CRA investment and involvement. Being able to provide 83% of their deposits back in the community is huge. Um, so they are also one of my favorites. And I could probably tell you more banks that I don't like more than the ones that I really am admiring. So a lot of them are not doing it very well. How about Capital uh, One Cafe? I see them a lot. Uh, not a big fan. They just have a huge marketing spend. But I mean, it's very sterile. You know, what's in your wallet has always stuck around. But like, who really cares what's in your wallet? That goes back to kind of what you said earlier about humanizing it, right? Like people don't want to connect with a faceless corporation. They want to connect with somebody that they can talk to, like a neighbor or, you know, someone that they feel is invested in their community. You know, if they're going to put their money somewhere, they want to put it somewhere with people who they feel like are going to look after their best interest rather than just like some logo that they see on a big corporate building as they drive down the highway. Mm -hmm. And especially with our younger generations, they want to go local, shop local, be local. They do want to see how their deposit and their money is actually helping their communities thrive. So that's where I think MNF has a huge advantage um, of how much they contribute back to their community. Do you carry cash? No. I I don't either. I checked for a toll and I think I had a 50 and a penny. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know where the fifty came from. <laughs> oh That's like a two dollar toll. You write checks. I do not write checks. I don't. I mean, I'm convinced that it's going to be like almost a purely digital currency. You know, within like the next ten or fifteen years, and maybe not hundred percent, of course, but like it, we're seeing such a, a reduction in use of cash and coinage now people just kind of swipe their card they've got apple pay google pay all these other options that eliminates the need to go to an atm and try to get cash out that i just don't think we're going to see much of it soon yep i mean but it came down to paying babysitters was the only reason why i needed cash and then now take venmo and away we go there you go I know the business model that Venmo and PayPal and all those guys have cash app is just incredible. That kind of highlights the importance of, of these financial apps though. You know, it gives so many people an opportunity to spend and use money in ways that they couldn't before. What are some things that again, taking away current clients that a bank for the future should look like? Should they be all digital? Should they stop brick and mortars? You know, should it be robots? Should there be a bank on the moon? You know, what's Bowers Bank look like in 2050? <laughs> um, you know, kind of going back to that one question you had of like, what was the surprising fact that I honestly didn't believe until we did our own study and I, I knew this for real was 
the high percentage of people who still want a brick and mortar. So it's kind of that I want it all. I want it to be local. I want it to be accessible if I need it. So, you know, the older demo does still go into branch and ATMs. It's really tricky because to be successful and you want to appease everybody, you need to have everything. <laughs> so brick and mortars are expensive. They're expensive to purchase. They're expensive to maintain. Um, you have to pay for the people that are running them. You have to have digital. I would say if you had to skew it, it's like 75 for digital. You're going to see some branches close. Like that's just inevitable, but it's play it smart. You're not going to see a lot of um, new branches being open. You will likely see more acquisitions occurring. And maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm different, but I do love the idea of having, you know, a brick and mortar place that I can go to and ask questions. You know, like for the serious stuff, like, you know, mortgages, you know, getting loans, things like that. Sure. It's always nice to have someone I can talk to, but I also don't feel that like AI chat capabilities are really caught up to like the other services that, you know, a lot of products are offering. So whenever I have issues, like I still want that person I can go and talk to. And it even helps even further. That's probably like a neighbor or someone I know from the community. And so that stuff is always really important to me, but I still want those digital tools. I still want my app that I can just handle everything I need to from my phone. Uh, while I'm, you know, sitting on the couch watching Love Island. Like I just, I want yeah. that flexibility. But it's hard for banks to, to meet. That's why it's very easy to look at a bank and find holes because you can't be everything to everybody, but you need to figure out what is it that you stand for and what type of customers will be the best for you. The one thing I think that wouldn't be good without brick and mortars are what are they going to do about all the movies that have uh, bank robbers in it? <laughs> I mean, it's such a plot, you know? Yeah. Um, when you were going through your, your banking days, did you ever have to learn what would happen if a bank robber? Oh, yeah. I actually worked out of a bank for my when I went and worked for Community Bank. Um, I had to commute 40 minutes because I wanted to actually work in the bank and watch. There's no better marketing you can do if you don't become the banker or see the customer. So I'd interact with the customers. I'd ask some questions myself. I went behind the teller station. I wasn't allowed in like one section. There was one time I was left alone to close the bank. That would scare me. (laughs) It was on accident. Nobody knew I was still there. The bank closed at five. I was in my office, seven months pregnant, door closed. And I'm waddling out and I'm like, hello, like, guys, is it time to get like, where'd you go? Because just someone would stay behind. And I thought I would have like, like the matrix. I thought I'd hit a button and like, <laughs> and, like you know, and it really came down to two bolts. And I was like, really, really, guys? like two bolts. I'm now picturing you seven months pregnant doing that routine from Oceans 13 or 12 yeah. or whatever it is. That that yeah. guy does through the laser field, yeah. just like all kinds oh, of totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't mess with me, guys. I still, I still have my ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> so we are now joined by Jim Sills, the president and CEO of MNF Bank here in North Carolina. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me today. Jim, it's great to see you again and again. Like Chris says, thanks for joining us. And before we kind of dive into the subject of banking and what's been going on in the business, how does it feel to uh, be a brand new uh, grandfather again? <laughs> More importantly. I'm still on cloud nine. My wife's on cloud 10. Um, <laughs> we receive a picture in the morning of our granddaughter and a picture right before we go to bed. My granddaughter's on the West Coast. 
Oh. And it kind of makes my day. I look forward to receiving those photos every day. Man, that's wonderful. That is great. See, there is good going on in the world. That's <laughs> right. Is. There is. So, yeah, we want to um, kind of dive into, especially your, your specialty into the banking world. And, you know, we've been working with you guys for the past couple of months. And, I mean, I know for, for our end, it's been a roller coaster of what you guys have been dealing with. You know, your path through dealing with COVID and everything is going on. Um, would love to kind of just hear from you how things were going before, how things were going during, and where you guys are now. Because I think you have a really solid, really good story to tell our listeners of, you know, what we can learn throughout all this. Yeah, great question. Thank you. You know, we started off the year like gangbusters. We had a uh, reopening of our historic Parish Street branch in downtown Durham. And we really thought that was going to be the catalyst to kind of propel the bank from a marketing and, uh, you know, marketing standpoint, but also to gather more deposit accounts and loan accounts. When the pandemic hit in the latter part of March, uh, all banks uh, had to shift gears because, you know, this pandemic has impacted our bank and all banks adversely. So the bright side of this is that we have increased our deposits. Uh, We did participate in the PPP loan program. And our customers and our associates are adjusting to, you know, this new normal of uh, Zoom calls, conference calls, and uh, leveraging technology more. Uh, could yeah, you speak on that a little bit? Sorry, i just curious yeah. about that. You know, one trend we're seeing is that technology and the customer experience is really leading a lot of banks forward. So I was curious, you know, what is MNF doing to push that new technology forward and allow their customers more access? You know, we're, we've been pushing um, DocuSign. We've also been pushing online banking, mobile banking, take, having the ability to take a picture of a check. Uh, we have very sophisticated ATMs where you can actually make a deposit with a check or cash. And we're just encouraging our customer base to take advantage of all of these technologies. We've had them for a while, but now because, you know, they can't come into the bank to do a normal transaction. We have these technologies. And so one thing we have been doing is trying to educate our customer base and show them how to open up an account online, also to sign up for online banking and also mobile banking. Uh, But it's difficult, but it's something we feel we have to do. Do you find that that education is important? It's, It's critical. You know, banking now is all about technology and access and doing it, having the ability to perform transactions 24 hours a day. We have an older customer base. They need a little bit more of a push versus uh, some of the younger customers that we have. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things that we were seeing kind of before all this happening and, you know, like Chris is mentioning now is more people kind of using digital and technology to bank. And there's a lot of companies out there that are, you know, digital only banks, you know, in some essence. You know, what's your thought on that? You know, what does that look like for the future of M&F? Um, I know you guys are really community-based and really thrive within those communities, but knowing that's something that is kind of coming, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we have to be more aggressive in terms of marketing our digital banking capabilities. But at the same time, the business that we're in is kind of a high-touch business. And our customers who bank with us, they still like the ability to talk to us on the phone, to come into the branch, to meet with our commercial lenders. And so it's something that we, we kind of have to be careful because we can't just shift everybody 
to the digital tools that we have. And so it's kind of a take it step by step by step, and then eventually you'll get them over. Our customers have adapted, you know, to these changes pretty, pretty, uh, pretty well. We got to balance it with the high touch and the high tech. It's something that we got to figure out, and we're just still kind of working through that. The customer experience has improved through uh, appointment only. And so now when they come in, we screen the call. We ask the customer specifically, why do you want to come into the branch? And so when they come in, they have all their paperwork. They have everything that they want. And they're being really 100% satisfied because when they went in, they knew what they were going to get. And they knew when they left that they would have what they needed. And I know you're, you're, you're on a lot of different boards and, you know, really out there speaking to a lot of different CEOs in the banking community. You know, what would you say, like, you know, what in your mind is kind of, you know, the next couple of months looking like when, you, when you're thinking about banking, you know, what are some things that listeners should really understand of, you know, where we are now and what is probably going to happen in the next couple of months of a year? Yeah, this is something that we follow very closely. A lot of the economic data. Uh, it's my personal opinion that we're in the second quarter of this event. Uh, So we're just beginning the second quarter. We're not at halftime. We're not in the third quarter or the fourth quarter using a football analogy. And I think this event is going to last all the way until uh, July or August of 2021. And so we've been communicating this to our associates that this is probably going to go on for another 12 months. So let's get used to it and People are working longer hours. They're sending more emails. They're on more calls like this. And they're adjusting pretty well. I host a um, bi-weekly call every Tuesday and Thursday just to make sure we're communicating and we're getting the right interaction with the staff and they know what's going on in the bank. From an economic standpoint, if they don't provide more stimulus, you know, that's what they're you know, working on in the Congress right now. It could have a, a very detrimental impact on the economy going forward. And you make an interesting point about how we're still in the early stages of uh, this pandemic. And I think a lot of businesses are trying to pivot and adapt, you know, whatever their business strategy is to current events. So I'm curious, how has MNF decided to change their business strategies based on the situation that we're in now? And as you said, looking ahead to, say, July of August of 2021. You know, we have the ability to open up deposit accounts online. And so we're kind of ahead of the game there. But on the loan side, you know, we've been kind of more touchy-feely where we'll go out and meet with the customer, collect his uh, tax returns and his financial statements, or they will put them in a package and we'll, you know, we'll pick them up from their CPA. And so we're looking at developing uh, or acquiring additional technologies that'll make us a little bit more efficient on the loan side. I know we've talked a couple of times, but I know you guys are out there. Um, just wondering if you have any kind of like just feel good stories of what you guys have done or seen when it comes to offering up loans to small businesses in the community. You know, the only thing that comes to mind at the moment, because we've been working on this the last uh, three months, we did participate in the PPP loan program and that program fit our customer base perfectly. So we were able to provide uh, 161 loans for about $15 million, impacting 1,300 jobs uh, in 16 different markets in North Carolina. And those loans went to small and medium-sized businesses, nonprofits, and also churches. 
And we have a lot of various testimonials of how this funding has helped sustain their business. Now, a lot of, a few of these businesses still have not reopened. And so they're kind of sitting on the money, but they were just really pleased that we were able to participate in that program and get that funding for them. Yeah. What does that mean to you? I mean, you're able to help out a lot of, honestly, families that are trying to get their small businesses through this pandemic. And I think for a lot of like larger banks, you know, that might just be like a number on a, on a spreadsheet, but for MNF who takes, you know, their customer experience very seriously, what does that mean for you? You know, I'm, a, I'm extremely proud to be a community banker. Most community bank like ours, they make 70% of all the loans less than a million dollars to small and medium-sized businesses. So I think we're doing exactly what we should be doing in the markets uh, that we serve. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. What would you say? I mean, I guess we're all we're all kind of going through this unprecedented time and we're we're adjusting, we're changing the way we work, as we talked about. You know, Chris and I are working from home. We haven't seen each other in months. You know, we're trying to take like what are some because you can't you can't, you know, plan for this, right? And you're going through it in your day to day. You know, in a year from now, I would love just and it's a tough question, I guess. When you look back, you know, what are some lessons that you know you have learned maybe personally and, and looking at the industry and, and your company that will help you kind of propel for the future of the way you do business? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would say the, the most interesting thing that this experience has, has taught us is that customers and employees are very adaptable. If, if it had been six months ago or a year ago and you said they're going to start using online banking more and leveraging DocuSign and going online to set appointments, I would have said, that's not going to work. And so I can tell you, all of those things that I just mentioned are working, and they're working very effectively. And so it just makes me wonder, why would we go back? And we still need to keep those types of convenience tools in place, because now customers expect that. Yeah, speed and uh, ease of use is so vital, I think, to so many customers now. And integrating technologies that facilitate that speed and that that ease. Uh, is there something that you think is missing currently in like the the banking technology sector that would benefit you guys greatly? You know, the um, we're a small bank. Some of the things that the larger institutions are doing is they're leveraging data more mm. in terms of how you interact with that institution. They're giving you all kinds of alerts. You see it on TV, you know, with uh, like Capital One when. The person is driving down the road and they see that they left the tip of $220, for example. So small banks like us, we need to start leveraging data more in terms of how our customers are leveraging our bank, how they do transactions with what are their needs. And I think that's one thing that you'll see us doing a little bit uh, more effectively. You guys probably know this, but fraud and cybersecurity issues are at an all-time high. Uh, during this pandemic, because these hackers have nothing else to do. And people are at their home and on their computers and they're clicking on things that they really should not be clicking on. And so they're not as vigilant as they have been prior to this pandemic. And so we are seeing just as the banking industry, an increase in fraud and uh, people uh, providing their uh, personal identifiable information more readily, which is very interesting that it is happening uh, yeah, it's interesting though. Also, so it's from just my observations. However, one, the stock market is skyrocketing again, which mm-hmm. is insane to me. 
And then from what I hear and I hear like people house values continue to go up and people are moving, especially when you look in metro areas and are moving to more kind of the, the suburbs. So it's interesting that the way people, how different people are reacting throughout all this. You know, I, I don't totally draw cash out of the bank all that often. You know, most everything I do, uh, either like grocery shopping through like Apple Pay or ordering stuff online, it's almost all credit or, or debit card purchases. And I'm curious of, uh, you know, from your perspective as, you know, leading a bank, is that something you think is going to become a larger and larger trend over time and where cash just becomes almost as outdated as like some other means of like a VHS almost, you know, like things we just don't use anymore? You know, that's that's an interesting question. I'm going to give you a statistic that may kind of, you know, shock you a little bit. Before the pandemic, check writing was still increasing. Cash was pretty prevalent in terms of people carrying cash, even though people sure. feel that, you know, we're going to become a cashless society. Cash was actually increasing in terms of how it was being uh, distributed sure. through the Federal Reserve System. Uh, but since the pandemic, I think you'll see those trends that you just mentioned. There are less checks being written and there's less cash that's being circulated in the economy at the moment. So I think you're right. I think you're on to something. I think that this pandemic will start us in that trim where you'll see fewer debit card transactions, but also fewer checks and, and very little cash. You know, I've got like an old collector's book of like old, you know, coins and, and monies and things yeah. like that. And it's funny, like you see uh, relics like that, like may have value now, but in the future, if people just don't care about, you know, old currencies, maybe it doesn't mean anything. Apple Pay is slowly increasing in terms of utilization of it, but it's it's a certain demographic that utilizes it. It's not people above uh, 50 years old. They still have not endorsed it or embraced it. Yeah, and that's what's interesting to me is like these things are very niche to the demographics, right? Like I talked to like I talked to my dad about this a lot, and you know he's in his 70s. He almost never uses like a debit card or anything. He almost always pays in cash or if he writes a check. When I was trying to tell him about, you know, Apple Pay and trying to set it up on his phone, he, complete disinterest, just didn't want to like, I'm not into it. I don't need it. I'm just going to pay with cash. It's fine, straightforward. I've been doing it this way forever. I don't need any of this. And so the adaptability, I think, of these apps and the payment systems, it goes back to kind of like that ease of use. And I think the more and more we go into the future, the more and more these app integrations are going to become crucial to the survival of a lot of banks because it's going to be the only way that a lot of people and a lot of this generation do banking. Yeah, I, I agree. And I got a funny story. We have a, a small business owner that took a picture of a check for a deposit and he normally would come in and make that deposit with a you know a few handful of checks. And so he said, that is so impressive that I can just take a picture of the check right from my, you know, from my home. Cause he's working from home. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm never coming back into the bank. I love <laughs> you guys, but that is so cool. And, 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 you know, I said to myself, we've had that for three years. He's just using it you know, in the last month or so. But he just thought that was the neatest thing. Yeah. We offered that technology and that it saves him so much time. Sure. Outside of work, Jim, how have you been kind of uh, trying to get your mind out, out of the work day to day, surviving all this? What are some of your hobbies? I play tennis. Ah, oh, uh, so nice. I've been playing tennis um, probably about 45 years. 
Uh, it's something I love to do. It's a great stress reliever. When I get out there on the tennis court, I'm just thinking about hitting that, that yellow ball. Uh, I also walk with my wife. I have three adult daughters, so we have a lot of interaction with them. And I have this new grandchild, which is a, which is a granddaughter. And so that keeps me busy. We used to travel a lot, and so we don't travel at all. So I, I kind of miss I have two daughters that live in New York City and one daughter and a husband and a grandchild. I kind of miss not seeing them. I'm kind of tired of FaceTime. Well, Jim, thank, thank you for the time. This was excellent. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and please rate and review us. Plus, you can follow Walk West on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We'll see you next time on the Talk West Podcast.